I'm Lorraine and I'm black. I'm Sarah and I'm Jewish. We're going back to school to learn some basic black and Jewish stuff we should totes already know. Let's get learned up! I don't even know what episode we're recording right now. Episode 13. Sure, but which one? Gay icons. Gay icons. Because it's Pride Day. Today is Pride Day? Today is Pride Day. This day, Sunday? Oh, yeah. Why did I think it was yesterday? Well, maybe all the hashtags? And Is there a Pride Day? I'm saying Pride Day because here in LA, the Gay Pride Parade is today, Sunday. Okay. When this episode releases... It, that that it means will have yes, been yesterday. Yes, exactly. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there are a lot of Pride Days because the parades fall on different days. So for different it's places, like whatever. Yeah. And I guess that's why it's the month. Also, mm, yeah. Why did we not have a gay person on? <laughs> did yeah. you think about that? I was thinking about that as we were doing the homework. I was like, oh, people might wonder like why we didn't have a queer guest. But, but I mean, Lorraine, we work in the arts so it's like who do we know <laughs> who yeah, could we get yeah you know it would have been mean? a real stretch it would have been a stretch it would have been really hard i mean i guess here's another thing like we when we did the sports thing like why didn't we have a sports expert on like what were we thinking we're like because learning we're experts on um, sports. why are i asking such dumbass questions like, like listen to yourself i know i'm so sorry what are you doing for pride lorraine um, sitting on my butt? No. We're both wearing rainbow t-shirts. Oh, yeah. And Was my, yours conscious? I, no. I just, I, um, did laundry the other day, mm-hmm. and this was on the top of the thing. But actually, I gave a shout out to this production company on our last episode, World of Wonder. They're the production company that does RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, so appropriate. Yeah, this is a super gay production company. Like, these two guys, like, started it in the 80s, I want to say, or 70s. And they just, like, were a couple of guys with a movie camera saying, hey, there should be more queer media, so let's do it. And they did, and they're still doing it, and they're very smart and cool. So amazing. Yeah. And this shirt is a um, rainbow tie-dye number nice. um, that I like to call, uh, I don't know where this came from. Uh, <laughs> I think it just showed up in my like laundry pile when I was a kid, like sometime after a summer camp or something. Yeah, it looks summery. It may have it been someone like else's. There's someone else's name in it. That is a really good tie-dye job like it looks like that looks authentic like professionally like, done yeah well no i was thinking it looks very diy but it just looks like someone who's an expert did it like a kid who's really good at tie-dye summer to summer mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the kid who you ask them to tie-dye your shirt for you when you were a kid were you ever psyched to get you know those like tie-dye kits like do yes, your own yes. like make your own fabric like Make your own clothes, tie-dye your own stuff. I yeah. loved those kids. Those were my favorite presents. Yeah. And I also loved giving those to other kids as gifts. What was the company that, like, made all of those? It was, like, Klutz uh, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That did was I? definitely one. They did, like, friendship bracelets and, like, beads. and Just tried to look up Klutz, and the first thing is art. Klu Klux Klan. <laughs> you know, Klu Klux Klan. Sand art. Uh, Hell yeah. So, all like, all this banter, for me anyway, just reinforces how, like, this 
episode belongs to a group of people that's not in this room. Yeah, yeah. We're doing our best, but really. Let's talk about pop rocks and tie-dye. It's Pride Month. Pride Month. Um, Let's get into some gay icons. Yes. Do you want to go first? Like, do you want me to go first? Where's your head at? Um, I'll go first. I'm talking about (laughs) Barbara motherfucking Streisand. What a beauty. Fucking don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Like, just (laughs) fully, like, this woman is so iconic. Like, a true, like, song and dance gal. She just, like, bleeds theater. She lives for the applause, 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 you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Guys, I'm so late to the Barbara Streisand party. Like... Are you really? I'm so late. Like, I... Like, everyone has already left the party. I'm, like, digging around the chip bowl at the bottom, like, looking for crumbs. It's just, like, embarrassing. To me, she is just a figure that always was and always will be. Like, I never felt like... Like, I'm not gonna say I'm at the Barbara Streisand party just yet. By the end of this episode, I probably will be there. Oh, you'll be there. But what I'm saying is, when I think of her, I just think of her as, like, a... Like a like a thing that just is always going, you know, like there's a whole, uh, like an industry. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a machine. Yes. There's a machine that has always been going my whole life. And so I don't know. She's just like always, she's always been there. Yeah. It's not yeah. like she's died and you've had to be like, Oh, I should really know some Barbara Streisand. That sometimes that's what it takes for me. You know, like uh, when yeah, an icon yeah, yeah. dies or like something happens, you know, or there's like yeah. a big news story, like something happens. Yeah. I feel like there hasn't been a lot of like scandal or controversy surrounding Barbara Streisand. No. Cause it's like, what's, what's to argue what's to against. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah. absolutely. The, yeah. Like my main thing with her is like, I know she was asked to change her nose and she didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of those things that's like, thank God yeah. she didn't. Right. Cause it's like, look at her and then look at like Jennifer Gray, you know, which is, you remember Jennifer Gray was from Dirty Dancing. Dancing. She oh, had yeah, like, yeah, yeah, she yeah, has yeah, like yeah. an iconic or she had like right, an iconic right, nose right. and then she got a nose job and then she st- kind of stopped getting work because her face wasn't like recognizable or unique anymore. Yeah. I mean, no shade to Jennifer Gray, but like that her, happened. Yeah. yeah. Like, she had a kind of a kooky thing going on and she just, you know, let the haters get to her. Exactly. But Barbara didn't. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Babs, Babs Bunny, she is a legend. She freaking acts. She sings. She writes. She directs. She produces. She has a like bajillion albums. Like if you just scroll through Spotify, it's like you can just get lost in the forest. She basically recorded an album like every year for the past 53 years. Um, She won two Academy Awards. These are just some like fast facts about Babs. Bab facts. Two Academy Awards. One for Best Actress for Funny Girl. Um, which I just saw and I'm excited to talk about. And one for uh, composer, like for composing the music for the movie A Star is Born. And she was the first woman to be honored as a composer, composer. in that category. Yes. Very cool. Also, she's a freaking EGOT. She, she is has, one of the, the very EGOT. few people who has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Do we have a photo of her with the necklace? I hope someone made one for her. Barbara Streisand. Oh, look that, look that shit up. Necklace. Meanwhile, uh, she was the first and only female director to win Best Director at the Golden Globes. Uh, she won for Yentl, 
that movie with Mandy Patinkin that I still need to see, uh, which she wrote, produced, directed, and starred in, which is a pretty big deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah. No, and by the way, no images of her wearing the EGOT necklace, but she definitely deserves one. So somebody get on it. Somebody get on that. Do some Photoshop and please send it to yeah. us at learntoppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Um, so part of my research for Barbara Streisand was, um, I feel like I, I think you're either supposed to say research or research. Research. Right, research. I dated a guy in college who said research. It was really lame. Was this a faster guy? Mm, yeah. I'll talk off mic about it. Sure. I, I want to know. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, he like did science, so he like thought he could say research. Research. <laughs> anyway. Ah, it's like gross. You're, yeah, you're not. Disgusting. You're not a professor. Um, <sighs> even, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay, so have you seen The Way We Were and or Funny Girl? Mm, no, I'm a bad No, that's, girl. A, that's okay. I was, I was bad because I hadn't seen either of those. And um, I mean, they're both so... Like, I know I'm using the word iconic a lot, like throwing it around like it's meaningless, but they're both just such like heavy hitters in the canon, you know, like, I mean, guys, like, I don't even think I'd seen a single movie that Barbara Streisand acted in. Like, I didn't know her talent. I just knew of her as kind of like a belter, like a, I knew she was like a gay icon and like a great singer and was like, you know, like born on the stage, but I didn't know... I didn't know about like her film work really. Yeah. Um, and she is actually like a delightful actress. Um, I don't think that's a controversial statement. <laughs> um, I mean, she's won some Oscars, but yeah, like, so I watched the way we were in funny girl to prepare for this episode. And it's kind of funny, like both movies, this won't be that interesting because you haven't seen it. Um, but if anyone out there has seen either or both of those movies, uh, you might, recognize some common themes between them. Uh, first of all, in both movies, uh, Babs is playing this woman, um, female character who is like throwing all of her support and love behind just like, like basic fuck boys who don't deserve her. Like that's like a theme in both the movies where cool. like, she's just like, I love you so much, but it's like, why they are lame, you know? Yeah. Um, like, why are you, I don't know. It's like when your friend is like crazy about a guy and you know, your friend is so amazing and is like so smart and talented. And like, she's just like obsessing over and like, Oh, I thought you were saying that she, I thought you were saying that she overcomes it. Like she, she like calls them out. She doesn't. No, not really. She oh, kind of like, these men cool. are kind of like her downfall or her like soft sort of like her Ew. weak spot kind of what year is this movie well these are two different movies so the way they, the way we were uh was like oh 72 i want to say or no sorry hmm. mm, hold on the way we were came out in 73 um and funny girl was 68 okay um, okay I'm and uh both both like pretty great movies i mean i preferred funny girl to the way we were because the way we were is just like a romance about two people who like can't be together because one is like a quirky like lower middle class Jewish girl from Brooklyn and the other is like a fancy upper crust wasp played by Robert Redford and it's like <laughs> how will we ever like <laughs> an ocean divides us yeah um, which is like kind of a weird moral of the story and then in funny girl it's like uh we can't be together because she's like uh, a crazy talented like Broadway actress who like works hard for her. She like has her own money and she's like an independent, ambitious theater gal. And he's like 
a no good gambling man who like never has money and is threatened by her success. And like the fact that she has all the money between them and that she like bought their house and shit. <sighs> and he just like can't handle it. So both movies are just kind of about like dudes who can't handle like strong, independent women. Huh? Um, and they're also kind of like the original La La Land and that they're like, the moral of the story is like, you can't be in a relationship and also be true to yourself and pursue right, your passions. Right, right, right. Um, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> but I will say, like, Funny Girl is just a delight for most of the movie. Like, when it's not bogged down by this, like, love story that you know is, like, doomed and, like, she shouldn't be wasting her time on this dude who just, like, doesn't have it like that. She is so just, like bright and sparkling like anytime she's like on stage doing like a like a hammy dance number like she's the movie she uh in the movie she plays um uh, an actress who gets cast in the Ziegfeld Follies it's like set in whatever time period that was like early 1900s I want to say okay right um when like that was it you know that was like you know if you got into the Follies that was like a dream achieved yeah um and yeah so she gets into the Follies and she gets in by being like by kind of like making fun of how silly certain like feminine conventions are and how like the expectations of these producers are for like her to just be like a dumb kind of like pretty girl who just like sings and looks like all the other girls and is like soft and feminine. And she's like, I'm crazy and loud and I have a funny (laughs) nose. I'm so funny. I'm Barbara Streisand. And she's always like cracking wise and sort of like talking out of the side of her mouth. And she's just like a, you know, she's a sassy broad. Um, So anytime she's kind of like poking fun at like how silly things are and like just charming, like she can't help, but the Zigfield Folly guy is like, I know I should be mad at you because you're totally making fun of the song I want you to sing. Like in one, in one part of the movie, um, she like, he asks the Ziegfeld, whatever his name is, like Florence Ziegfeld, like asks her to, to star in this number dance number where she's going to be like a bride and she's going to come out with all of these other brides who just like sing this dumb song about like the summer bride is obedient. The springtime bride is soft and supplicant or whatever (laughs) and um barbara streisand just decides to come out like in the show she just like decides to come out with like a giant pregnancy bump like under her like white wedding dress and the crowd just like goes crazy and like like live like live she like tries this out live because she's like in the audition she's like mr zigfield like i don't think i should be in this bridal number it doesn't you know i'm not pretty like the other girls don't you want to see me in like some kind of comedy role and he's like no do the bridal role it's gonna be great and she's like you'll see uh and he's like well (laughs) i'm still i'm charmed by your you know your chutzpah and like no girl has ever talked back to me like this so like i'm gonna cast you in the show and she's like my dream and then she goes on stage opening (laughs) night and like pulls this and the crowd just fucking loses their goddamn mind and all of the women on stage who are in this stupid bridal number they're all like yes sister like you fucking (laughs) poke some holes in this stupid like gender convention whatever um does she get fired uh she does not get fired she like he tries to sort of like punish her he tries to like you know cajole her right but then he like He's like, I want to hate you, but the crowd loved you. So <laughs> you're you're high, you're hired forever. You can stay as long as you like. Uh, so anyway, she's just a delight. Um, she's like kind of like how I was talking about um, watching Gilda Radner and like how, you know, you see these these performers who are just like so pumped to perform and just like they're so in their element and they're just like smiling when they're doing their thing. And it makes you like just so it just I don't know, just like 
gives you a smile, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just, like, sitting here trying to, like, figure out, like, how did she happen? Because she is such a, and she's such a, such like, a weirdo. A, yeah, such a, like, a rare beast. Yeah. And I am just, like, seeing how, like, it appears that she had a somewhat painful childhood and she's like one of those kinds of theater people who like, you know, probably turned to the theater for comfort as like an escape, you know, when she became it. And like, that's where she's happiest. That's where she lives. And that makes total sense because she's like completely thrown herself into her work. Um, And that comes through. She just seems like a really real, like beautiful artist. Yeah. Who like maybe wouldn't make it today. You know, maybe not. Maybe would be drowned out by like all these. I feel like you have to be everything today. Yeah. You have to be you, like actually everything. You well, can't. she like was everything. She just wasn't conventionally like attractive. That was like right. the missing ingredient. But everything else, she was just like boatloads of talent, super charming, like fast talking, clever, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then also like broke barriers, like writing and directing and winning awards, like as a woman. Um and refusing to like you know get a nose job um wait just i have to i just have to read i'm just looking at my notes that i took for both the way we were and funny girl um one of the best lines from funny girl is uh she's like trying to uh trying to convince a like theater producer to let her audition for something that he's like, you're not pretty like the other girls. You've got skinny legs and you don't have a, you know, you don't have a good look. You're not what we're looking for kid. And she's like, please let me do it. Um, (laughs) And then she like makes this whole analogy about um, like, uh, what, what if you've only ever had like onion rolls for breakfast your whole life? And then in walks a bagel and you're like, what is this? And she's like, I'm a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls. What? <laughs> oh my God. She's um, so perfect. She's so perfect with all of her like Jewish metaphors and analogies. And she's just great. Also, another thing that just caught my eye here. Uh, so she, she apparently had stage fright a bunch. Did you read about that? Did not. Okay. So she says that she covered her insecurity on stage by studying the flamboyance of the drag queens <gasps> she met during this time. Oh. Um, And so still she's infamous for having avoided live performances for nearly three decades because of debilitating stage fright. What? 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 Wow. I mean... We've missed out on three decades of her because of anxiety? But that's crazy because she's been, like, active for, like, six decades. So either she's, like, a hundred secretly or... (laughs) I don't know what this... I don't know. I don't know what this thing means. I think she's probably... slash people slash Barbara Streisand. So Um, please forgive. that sounds kind of legit. Okay. (laughs) She's probably just performing through the stage fright, right? And she was just, like... Yeah, probably. Or maybe, like, she... Maybe she, like, didn't tour or something. Because it's just saying live performances Uh. gave her stage fright. So she's maybe... I don't know. Doing... Whatever. I don't know. Not to compare myself to Barbara Streisand, but like, you know, I do shows around here. I'll do shows like with my friends and stuff where it's like really low stakes. But I'm I am like, you know, cresting into my third decade and have never gone on a tour. I've like never tried to like do stand up anywhere but New York or L.A. And it's like a really scary thing. So I don't know. Maybe she did a similar thing or she was like somewhere really local and was. I mean, we can all relate to stage fright. We just, we can all relate to stage fright. Performing is terrifying and why do I want to do it? I don't know. I ask myself. I don't know. Every day. Yeah. People who Um, don't get stage fright, I honestly don't trust you. Yeah, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Don't talk to me. Yeah, get out of my life. Yep. I also (laughs) just want to say. Funny Girl is two hours and 38 minutes long. That's the longest movie I've 
watched voluntarily since I went to Titanic in fourth grade with my mom. Uh, yeah, but I have to be convi- I have to be like dragged to a long movie. Funny and by girl. long movie, I mean like anything over like an hour and forty five minutes. Funny Girls on Netflix, right? Uh, Funny Girl is not on Netflix. It's oh. on Amazon. I I paid three ninety nine for it. Money I'm, well spent. Um, I, well, I don't know where, but like. Funny Girl's been, like, recommended to me, not, like, through a person, through, like, the internet. Like, yeah. suggested for you. Oh, that's funny. And whenever I've seen it uh, in thumbnail form, mm-hmm. I've always thought, oh, that seems like a nice, light movie. Right, like 146 minutes, maybe. Yeah, exactly. If that. Wait, maybe. 146 minutes. I meant an hour and 46 minutes. 146 oh, yeah, minutes yeah, yeah, is yeah. over two hours, which, by the same <laughs> metric, is too long. No, yeah, that is way too long. That is too long. Uh, yeah, it just always looked to me like it could be a quick one, like, a ro- like just a regular old rom-com. A romp. Yeah. A romp, a rom-com romp, mm-hmm. like a Katherine Heigl number, like something yeah. like that. And right. Or like, it a, sounds um, like, like a Dick Tracy, Katherine Hepburn, you know, like a... Right. But when you watched it... Battle of the Sexes. Right, right, right. Yeah. Just real quick. In, mm-hmm. you're out. Yeah. We get it. What, but when you watched it, did it feel like the length was worth it? Were you like, yes, we needed this. We needed every piece of this story. I mean, I think you could have cut out like half of the romance subplot because... It just brought the movie down. It was, I don't want to spoil Funny Girl for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the ending, like the last number she sings, like it, you know, it ends with like a, I'm like, I don't want to spoil it, but this is how it ends. (laughs) Um, Whatever. She's, she's like on stage, like singing this amazing song that closes the movie. And even though the song and the performance are both great, they're like too much about like love, like love between like a man and a woman or like a, you know, woman and woman, man and man, whatever, like, and not about the love of the theater, which is really what the core of the movie is for me. That it's like Mm. that. I mean, it's really like the theater is her true love, not this fucking dude who's addicted to gambling and doesn't go to her opening night. You know, you just made me think of something. Do you watch crazy ex-girlfriend? Okay. This you're like the 10th person to ask me that. I've seen like two episodes. Guys, I like it. I just, mm-hmm. I don't have time. But it's I fine. know, I know there's I need to watch pl- it. There's lots to watch. There's lots to explore. No, but I know it's we great. We have done a TV episode. I mean, oh, technically yeah. we did because Roots is a TV series. I found but we out. didn't know that. Didn't know it. It's uh, still on the movies yeah, episode. The Nothing can change that. Now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, a lot of the musical numbers and a lot of the episodes are kind of like an homage to a musical or like a thing that people know for yeah. musical theater. And um, there's this whole episode where she is, she's having these flashbacks where she's realizing that like her, her passion in this moment was a play, the theater, not a guy that was in the play. And she, she was kind of trying to get involved with the play because of a guy. Right. And, you know, anyway, I want to revisit that after watching Funny Girl to see if there was a Funny Girl connection that Ooh. I just missed. Oh, wow. And now, yeah, now I feel like I really need to watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That sounds great. Um, I, yeah, it's yeah. such a fun show. I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, yeah. And I love Rachel Bloom. Well, women supporting women. Well, we, you know, we talk about like getting together and watching stuff a lot. I would love to rewatch episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with you. And I would love to sit down and do that lighthearted thing of watching Bamboozled together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a film that you've seen that Speaking I haven't. Speaking of romps. <laughs> um, I think parts of that movie are pretty funny, but. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, whatever, whatever. Barbara Streisand has like talked to different news media outlets about like <laughs> changing her nose. And like she did an interview for Playboy in 1977. Um. And, uh, you know, Playboy was like, 
What do you think makes your voice so special? Streisand says, my deviated septum. If I'd ever had my nose fixed, it would ruin my career. Oh, um, so I like, didn't know that. Maybe there's some like belief that I never thought it, about that operation could have like ruined her singing voice. Sure. I mean, I, I never considered it, but like, maybe that's true. What do you think? I have. I truly don't know. I think it's true. I believe it. I buy it. Anyway, she's just <laughs> like, look, I, you know, she talks about like a woman, an actress who has an amazing nose, this Italian actress, Silvana Mangiano. And she says she has the most beautiful nose there is an incredible nose, Roman, bumpy, like from an old piece of sculpture. That's what I consider beautiful. I certainly don't like pug noses or little tiny noses. Um, and then oh. she talks about how her face has two very different sides and she prefers the left side. Um, <laughs> I certainly relate to this, but this is not about me. Um, but anyway, um, I hear you girl. And she talks about how she thinks she'd look kind of weird with like a tiny little nose. And so she's like, not going to do it. I agree. I think she would look weird with a tiny little nose. And I'm pretty sure we're not the only ones to ever speculate on it. I'm going to see if anybody has Photoshopped her nose. Okay, do it. Um, meanwhile, uh, there was a little bit, uh, I, I said earlier that there was no scandal or controversy really surrounding Barbara Streisand. Apparently it's not totally the case. Um, I, uh, sort of skimmed this article called Streisand, sorry, Streisand's gay sex problem and the death of the gay icon. Ay-ay-ay. So which heavy. Is, uh, published by the Daily Beast in, um, like three years ago, May of 2017. Um, just talking about how like Barbara Streisand, Streisand obviously like, owes a huge debt of gratitude to her gay fan base who like, you know, have stood by her over the years and like, si, claro. yeah. Um, but apparently she had the rights to make a movie out of normal heart. And she was a little bit hesitant to show the, um, gay sex that the movie would have depicted and was like a little bit just was sort of like, uh, she thought it was a little distasteful and that's like, Oh, that's a bummer. If, oh, if that's true. No. Um, and, uh, I wonder, yeah. hmm, I don't mean to be like so quick to be a Streisand apologist on this one, but like, what if the sex really is distasteful? Well, so Streisand says she releases a statement saying her intention for the movie was to promote the idea of everyone's right to love gay or straight. Um, Quote, Larry, I guess Larry Kramer, who, oh yeah, he wrote the play. Okay. Uh, So yeah. So Larry Kramer was basically saying like, Streisand is anti-gay. She doesn't want to make this a movie because of the gay sex. And Larry, or, uh, Streisand says, Larry was at the forefront of this battle, and God love him, he's still fighting. But there's no need to fight me by misrepresenting my feelings. As a filmmaker, I have always looked for new and exciting ways to do love scenes, whether they're about heterosexuals or homosexuals. It's a matter of taste, not gender. I don't know. Jury's out. Yeah. Uh, this isn't really my... Um, this like isn't my fight. I'm not as knowledgeable about this as I should be. So I um, seems like something that we could bring up on extra extra podcasts. Oh, crossover oh, extra shit. extra. Um, that's yeah. a really good plug. Everyone, listen to all the What's a Creative podcast. Okay, I think I'm done talking about Barbara Streisand. She's she's a delight. I love to watch her perform. Um, and I'm gonna watch Yentl next, so stay tuned. Okay, cool. Also, if you guys want to Google the stupidest thing you've ever Googled, go on <laughs> ahead and Google Barbara Streisand nose Photoshop. Oh Click no. Click on images. Oh no. It's dumb. Can I see? Yeah, please. It's just a bunch of stupid stuff. Like, there's nothing like useful on here. Like, first of all, people photoshopping her face to make her look weird. To make her nose look. Bigger. Just like ridiculous. And then there's some weird stuff. Alexis, can you see too? I just want to make sure everyone's included in the room. Then there's this weird baby. 
<laughs> which oh. I kind of like. Guys, I just if you're listening to Learn Tap right now, go on your phones, go on your computers, Google this so you can scroll with us. Um, it's annoying is all. It's annoying. Barbara Streisand looks like a beautiful Siamese cat, doesn't she? She kind of looks like Clem. Have you ever thought that? <laughs> and that is a compliment, by the way. Because Clem huge is compliment. fucking hot. He's a fucking yeah. hot cat. Okay, oh, let's move on. Okay. Boop, 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 boop. Bleep, 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 bleep. So, <clears throat> we're going to shift gears a little bit and come on over to this side of the table. Black gay icon that I'm deciding to talk about is Audrey Lord. Ooh, Audrey Lord. Yes. Um, I felt such shame for not knowing that much about her. I mean, there are a lot of, I guess, like random quotations that sort of circle around Tumblr and the like that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can pretend that I read the full work that this was plucked from. <laughs> and you know what? I'm tired of that. I'm tired of just getting by on stupid, like, Internet random knowledge who am I that I have not been reading and listening to her work? You are a busy black woman with other things going on. But that is the very reason for why, Sarah, <sighs> for why I should have been reading her work. You're okay, right. Sorry. Just let me shame myself, please. Before Learned Up, what did I know of her? Great poet, gay icon, has great quotations. I know I'm supposed to know her. And I just feel kind of like, like, it's a shame that I consider myself a black feminist, but I haven't been reading her work. Like, how dare I? Who am I? And by the way, who am I reading if I'm not reading her is like a feeling that people probably have. Mm. And then I'll answer that question, Wait, readers. I also want to just say, I'm really glad you said her name out loud because I've seen it written and not known how to pronounce her first name. And I got to say, I'm not 100% confident that I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> I just, I know that her given name like i was gonna save this for a second later but um oh her born name is audrey spelled with a y audrey mm. geraldine lord <gasps> ah. so i figure she goes by audrey or went by Audrey. yeah 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 but then why drop the y to be cool <laughs> i don't know so that people will be having these kinds of conversations exactly like, how do you pronounce her name yeah 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 is it audra audra is Aud- it audre 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 lord audre lord <laughs> Sounds really good. Yeah. Um, but who am I reading? Well, I would be reading people like Bell Hooks, uh, the work of Angela Davis, Patricia Hill Collins, people like that, you know? And then, okay, another thing that needs to be mentioned is that when it comes to, like, like the intersection of, like, black history and sexuality, it's, it's kind of a block for me and for a lot of people who are, I would say, like, my peer group, my age and older than me, um... Just like thinking of uh, like sexuality and the freedom of others to like love who they want to love, fuck who they want to fuck, hold hands with whoever they want to hold hands with. It's just like something that comes under attack a lot um, in the black community. And like I just didn't have I didn't anyways, like growing up, have a lot of adults in my life who were like, this is a really important topic that you need to engage with. Mm. It's more like something that sort of swept under the rug or you look the other way. You just like, oh, if this one goes to college, she'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, I have this like one little anecdote that I just want to share that's like sort of personal. Um, I have this one relative who was like pretty homophobic and we were like having a, a meal together 
And I was kind of trying to like walk him through his homophobia so he could kind of like hear how fucked up he sounded. Mm. And he was like, um, well, I don't understand like why I should be like standing up for the rights of like these other people who um, are gay or whatever. Like I'm black. I have it the hardest. Um, I can't hide being black, but they can hide being gay if if that was important to them. And I was like, dude, like, first of all, like, fuck you. Like there are gay black people. So like, this is totally your issue. And for another thing, like, was that where you would really want? Like, would you really want to be able to like hide your blackness and like have to explain to someone every day that you were black? Like that's way more work. Like, (laughs) like the other thing about growing up black is that you have like siblings, moms, dads, like community, like all these people who look like you, who can kind of like explain your blackness to you a little bit. Whether or not they're doing a great job at it, who is to say? But like you have you have a connection like to that piece of your identity from day one. Whereas if you have to like come out to yourself as gay or queer or whatever, and then you have to come out to your family members and you have to come out again and again and again, like that's that's so much work. So yeah, it's exhausting. There sounds, is no sounds and, exhausting. And by the way, to quote Audrey Lore, there is no such thing as hierarchies of oppression. So blah blah blah. And this that's a really good point though because I feel like people are always like trying to compare. Like, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about this, like, off mic. Like, uh, I don't really like when, um, you know, Jewish people particularly and, like, certainly people in my, like, extended family have sort of tried to suggest that, like, blacks and Jews should be friends because their struggles are the same. Mm Because I just feel like that gets into kind of hot water where you're, like, comparing, like, the Holocaust and slavery. And it's like, let's not compare. Right. Like, nobody's served by that. Like, let's just, you know, let's all help each other out because we we are all, like you know, members of the same society and family. And everything that you're saying is so perfect for Audrey Lord. Oh, I can't wait to dive deep into this. And so anyway, but before I go into it, I want to say, so this, this relative of mine that really stuck with him and he brought it up like years later and was like, I just want to let you know, like that was like really huge and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, man, it's so weird how like, it's, it's weird that we in the black community, we like educate up like younger generations are like, be cool. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just, that's like a unique thing in the black experience that Wait, I thought what I'd do share. You, sorry, say more about that. Like instead of lessons about the world being like passed down to like new generations, like hello, young new blood. Like we'd like to explain homosexuality to you and like you can love who you want. It goes in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And that's the case I think for a lot of different groups, but I just there's like a specific relationship to it in the black community that I wanted to shine a light on. And there's a lot of interesting stuff about this that I'd like to explore, like the connection of the animosity toward the queer community um, from like black folks uh, being rooted in reconstruction era stuff, like um, the black community being emasculated by Jim Crow laws and stuff like people literally being castrated and, and being like men being treated like they're less than, because they're black. Yeah. And so needing to prove like, I'm a man, I'm a man. See, and like, I can yeah. get a woman. I can have all the things that the white man has. Like, it's just like so intense. Well, um, yeah. And oh my gosh. Uh, sorry. I don't mean to interrupt this, but I also conversely, it's like in, in like movies like get out where they're, mm-hmm. they're talking, you know, uh, basically talking about like the flip side of that with like black male bodies being like hypersexualized and hyper like masculinized, if that's even a word and like how white people while oppressing black men are also like covetous of them. Oh my God. Oh my God. 
Black yeah. America, white America, a love story. Am I right? I mean, a complicated Am love story. Am I right? Yes. Regular Romeo and Juliet over For here. Real? No, really, it is. And so anyway, yeah. So this whole thing of like engaging with my sexuality at all or engaging with like just just intellectualizing sexuality, it's not something that the adults in my life were encouraging me to do. They were like, go to SAT prep and practice piano. <laughs> like that was like it. Um, probably because it didn't seem important or it was, it's not something that like my parents felt like they were experts about or whatever. Um, but I don't feel like I'm an expert on this topic, but I definitely would want to emphasize this conversation with my kids because of all this stuff that I'm learning about these days, especially this Audrey Lord stuff. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Okay. One thing that she said that I really loved so she was talking about being a black lesbian in the 50s and she, in New York, in Harlem. And she points out how black and white lesbians were like talking with each other and really making an effort to communicate with each other, which is a really huge deal. If you think about it, like uh, black and white people, there were like there was like a huge divide, like a huge barrier, like we cannot comprehend. But like black and white lesbians, were, she, it seemed to her, were like the only people in the city who were making a conscious effort to like hang out and really understand each other and like pointing out, oh, right, like your experience is different than my experience. And that's a really special thing. And that kind of like gets her thinking about like what she wants to write about and what she wants to tell the world about. And she, one thing she said about her straight black girlfriends was she said they either ignored my love for women considered it interestingly avant-garde or tolerated it as another example of my craziness in other words it was allowable as long as it wasn't too obvious and didn't reflect upon them in any way at least my being gay kept me from being a competitor for whatever man happened to be upon their horizons it also made me much more reliable as a confidant I never asked for anything more. This is her speaking live at UCLA in the early 90s. So she's sharing this experience to kind of say, like, she's there with her black sisters, like her women she's supposed to be in solidarity with. And they, like, are totally dismissing a huge part of her, a huge piece of her. And I found that really important and exciting. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So um, also, okay, as I was doing this homework, I was thinking, oh, like looking at pictures of her, I'm like, I get why so many people assume I'm a lesbian just by looking at me. <laughs> we look a lot alike, like it, aesthetically. Oh my god! And oh, show me these pictures. Oh. I look her up. I don't really see it. I am. I am. I'm on. Well, I'm like, on Audrey. I just think young Audrey, like accessories wise, like what she chooses to wear, how she wears her hair, and like hashtag no makeup. And then <laughs> and oh, I get why so many people always think I'm gonna read a poem at open mics. <laughs> <laughs> what a funny, what a funny observation. And you our, look like you're going to read a poem. They're like, oh, poetry. And it's like, no, comedy. Really? Stand? Yeah. I can't write poems and I definitely can't read them. Um, also, our teeth match. That was another thing I noticed. Like, we both have like a weird, like crowding thing going on on one side of our smiles. And that makes me feel at home. I can't find any pictures where Audrey Lord is smiling with her teeth showing. Search videos. Okay. Maybe in a thumbnail, you'll see a photo of her smiling. Oh, she's on like, okay. So, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, continue. So she is a poet. She is an academic, a scholar. She writes essays. She gives speeches. She is talking about um, identity. And she is really like one of those trailblazers, pioneers talking about intersectional feminism as we know it today. If that sounds like a whole bunch of mishmash and blah, blah, blah to anyone listening, hang tight. Mm -hmm. It's going to be okay. 
Um, Are you going to explain intersectionality? I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, but let me just kind of skip through this. Okay, okay, okay. She reinforces the idea of how the personal is political. I want to just kind of say that again for anybody who just needs a second to let it sink in. The mm-hmm. personal is political. So there's really no way that you, there could be like an issue going on in the world someone else is being oppressed or being cast out. There's no way you could look at an issue and be like, oh, that's over there. That's not me. That has nothing to do with me. Well, wouldn't that be the political is personal? Or, I mean, I you're well, right. I, I guess like I want to begin with that. Like yeah. for people who are who are zoning out because they're like, I hear the word political and this isn't me. <laughs> right. It's like, what sorry. is this, like a political <laughs> podcast? It's like, sorry, it is you. In the choices that we make every day and the uh, the automatic reactions that we have to our surroundings, it's all political. The feelings that we have inside of our bodies, it's all political. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's an empowering thing. And she constantly identified as a black lesbian mother warrior poet. And Angela Davis highlights this of how, how uh, each word in that string challenges the one that comes before it so black lesbian oh so you can be black and you can be a lesbian you can be lesbian and you can be black that's special cool lesbian mother Mm. can you do you know what yeah turns out you can lesbian mother mother lesbian mother warrior huh certainly absolutely mother warrior i mean have you seen wonder woman i mean i haven't but okay i mean you should and then warrior poet oh really like you can be a fighter and you can be uh an artist wow amazing so i really love that um she uh angela davis talking about audrey lord she says that uh (laughs) the politics of articulation became the very groundwork of feminist methodology of intersectionality. So this, this uh, Angela Davis loves words. Um, (laughs) I just want to say Audre Lorde is a poet. And I felt like in all of her prose that I read and like all of her speeches, she's so poetic with the way that she chooses words. It's so cool. It's like, she's just saying sentences, but they're so, there's like a melody to them. There's something about them that like sticks with you. And I agree, like the politics of articulation that became the very groundwork of feminist methodology of intersectionality. Fascinating to me. Um, yeah, that's that's a mouthful. That's, this, yeah, I'm going to be digesting that. This is OK. So for anyone who doesn't know intersectionality, it, it, it this is um, this is something that was coined by Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. In her 1989 work, here comes another mouthful, demarginalizing the intersection of race and sex, colon, a black feminist critique of anti-discrimination doctrine, feminist theory, and anti-racist politics. Look it up if you want to, but I'll just give you the gist. We all have these different... uh, pieces of our identity and they intersect. So, so for me, for example, I'm black and I'm a woman. There's no way that I can just address the black side of me without addressing the woman side of me. There's no way I can just address the woman side of me without the black side. Right. Of like me. divorce certain parts from each other. It's like, it's all one. Yes. And there's, yeah, there's no read. And like, and like distinguishing among those identities does each of them and all of them like a disservice because right. it, it kind of implies like a hierarchy exactly. of identity. 
and it's just not possible to go there. And here comes a big chunk of beautiful text from our girl, Audrey Lord. I really love what she says here. Give it to me. Here it comes. As a black, lesbian, feminist, socialist, poet, mother of two, including one boy, and member of an interracial couple, I usually find myself part of some group in which the majority defines me as deviant, difficult, inferior, or just plain wrong. From my membership in all of these groups, I have learned that oppression and the intolerance of difference comes in all different shapes and sizes and colors and sexualities. And that among those of us who, among those of, those of us who share the goals of liberation in a workable future for our children, there can be no hierarchies of oppression. I have learned that sexism a belief in the inherent superiority of one sex over all others and thereby its right to dominance and heterosexism, a belief in the inherent superiority of one pattern of loving over all others and thereby its right to dominance, both arise from the same source as racism, a belief in the inherent superiority of one race over all others and thereby its right to dominance. I simply do not believe that one aspect of myself can can possibly profit from the oppression of another part of my identity. I know that my people cannot possibly profit from the oppression of any other group, which seeks the right to peaceful existence. Rather, we diminish ourselves by denying to others what we have shed blood to obtain for our children. And those children need to learn that they do not have to become like each other in order to work together for a future they will all share. And I just like that last part. She says, and those children need to learn that they do not have to become like each other in order to work together for a future they will all share. So for anyone who is really obsessed with going, the Holocaust and American slavery are the same. I just want you to know, you don't have to do that. Right. Put it down. You can support each and both groups without drawing some kind of comparison or like like making a, like a, a rank. And like, Here's another thing. Like when a person says, hey, that word's offensive. I really don't want you to use that word. And you're like, no, it's not. The person saying to them, it's offensive. You can understand that the word is offensive, even if it doesn't offend you. Right. That's and it's fine. really not about you at that point. Right. It's about the person who is offended. And just if, as a sidebar. Yeah, just as a sidebar. And like, and if that's your choice to like continue like ignoring that person, I mean, you are ruining everything. Yeah. Get out. You lost. Get out. Okay, so that was a lot. Um, This might be a good place for me to take a quick break and just say, I have so much to read. I really have my work cut out for me. I love this woman, and I'm just so glad that I decided to do this homework. I'm not going to cover everything that I want in this uh, record, but if if I'm going to record something, I do want to touch on this, and it's this speech she gave on eroticism and pornography. Ooh, sounds great. And this is a topic that just terrifies me. Like, I don't want to talk about sex. I really don't. Like, I don't want to talk about... Your stand-up is so raunchy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, see, like, I don't want to talk about... I don't want people to imagine me naked. I don't want to talk about, like, what the terms are that I search for porn. I don't want any (laughs) of that. So this is a topic that all I want to do is back away from it. Now I just really want you to talk about it. So uh, naturally I dove in and was listening to what she had to say. And Jesus Christ, she is just mm, so good. So she talks about how the erotic is the nursemaid of our deepest knowledge. So 
So, what? Yeah, I know, right? So like that 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 feeling inside you, that erotic side of you is this like place of understanding of yourself. This is a place where you get to know yourself and you're you're experiencing something. Now, the tri- the trick here is that we have things like pornography that abuse that feeling and that kind of bastardize it and like take it take advantage of it and like make this perversion of what intimacy is. And that confuses us and we don't know like what's good, what's bad for me. But there's this thing inside of us that's uh, the erotic and it's what it really is, is the open and fearless underlining of my capacity for joy. Ah, I really like that. that. The open and fearless underlining of my capacity for joy. And it's about a shared connectedness with another person. That's what she's talking about. And so she says, whether dancing, building a bookcase, writing a poem, making love, examining an idea, that self-connection shared is a measure of the joy, which I know myself capable of feeling, a reminder of my capacity for that feeling and that deep and irreplaceable knowledge of my capacity for joy. And what ends up happening is it comes to demand from all my life that it be lived within the knowledge that such satisfaction is possible and does not have to be called marriage, nor God, nor a man, nor an afterlife. It doesn't have to be called anything. Like this is just, this is something. It just exists. This is a feeling in inside like raw, me. Like raw form. And that's why it's so scary. And that's why people like relegate it to the bedroom and acknowledge it only there if they acknowledge it at all. It, it's 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 a scary thing because it opens us up to this desire, yeah. yeah this and it's like your truest, it's like your truest self, right? Like exposed. It's terrifying. Yeah, putting it out there in the world. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay. So then she says, for once we begin to feel deeply all the aspects of our lives, we begin to demand from ourselves and from all our life, our lives pursuits that they feel in accordance with that joy, which we know ourselves to be capable of. In other words, our erotic knowledge empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing ourselves to evaluate those aspects honestly in terms of their relative meanings within our lives, in terms of their erotic value. Oh my and God. this is a grave responsibility. It's projected from within each of us not to settle, not to settle for what is convenient or shoddy for the conventionally expected, nor what is merely safe. Oh, my God. I know. That was so <laughs> resonant. That was amazing. She got me good. I uh, I really was feeling us. it. She, I was really Audrey. feeling it. And that's this whole thing about like separating the black from the queer. This is a huge problem. I have missed out on this my entire life. She was like releasing amazing work the year I was born. And yeah. nobody was saying, Well, oh, you were a baby, Lorraine. I know I was a baby. But since I was a baby, I knew about Lorraine Hansberry. And I didn't find out. And like my name is, mm, I'm named after, after Lorraine yeah. Hansberry. My younger brother, Michael, his middle name is Langston. He's named after Langston Hughes. And no one in my life was going, Hey, it's really important that you know they're queer. And it is. Right. It's so important. It's, yeah. It's so important. You can't have a piece of it without all of it. And I'm just like, just I'm just like really enjoying my 20s of like reading this work and like listening to these poems and reading and watching movies. It's just, uh, it's good. It's, it's all good. Oh, man. 
That I really want to, yeah, I really want to get into Audrey Lord, especially now since I've heard her name pronounced aloud, like maybe, cor- maybe correctly. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> she sounds, uh, she sounds like a rad dudette. She's incredible. And then another thing to just add to the flavor of her life, she suffered from cancer for 14 years Oof. where she was diagnosed with breast cancer and then liver cancer. And then, um, she died at the age of 58 in 1992 um, and she was writing that whole time. She was producing work through that whole experience. And that's just like more, you know, rich exploration for us to do. Like this woman is just such a beacon of knowledge. Ugh, I'm like melting. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Happy Pride Month, guys. we didn't talk about did you hear about how babadook is uh, wait yeah let's gay. like let's briefly talk we about have this to bring this up because i don't even know like what it is matt was just describing <laughs> it to me so i can describe it to you and it would be like super third hand from what my from what i understand um the gays have taken up the babadook uh like the the scary figure in the movie the babadook um as kind of like a gay hero um, and sort of portrayed him as like, you know, um, representing like gay struggle and how the movie is about how the Babadook just wants to like, like, we want to just like shut out. Wait, tell me if I'm right. Like, cause no, you're, look, you're mean, looking at the internet and I am just like, you're allowing me to just like talk. I want you to just, I want you to just like talk because yeah. I'm, I'm completely ignorant of this, like, on all accounts. All I know is, like, I was going through social media, and I saw that the Babadook, that's how you pronounce it, Babadook? Yeah, the Babadook, yeah. The Babadook Mm -hmm. was claimed by the queer community, and I was like, oh, that seems relevant to our podcast, because isn't that a Jewish thing? It's like Um, a Jewish monster. uh, The Babadook? (laughs) Is it not? No. I think you're you're thinking of Dibbuk, (laughs) which I actually would love to explore in another podcast episode, because... I find like folklore and like horror stories and ghost stories so terrifying that and is interesting. So funny. Um, I was like, oh, maybe Sarah's gonna do Babadook. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, For no, my Jewish no. presentation, I would like to talk about <laughs> The Shining. Well, now I wanna see this film. It's I, really, really good. It's very scary and very good. And I thought like kind of about feminism and mm-hmm. didn't really recognize like the, you know, queer meanings, but that's just my lens. Like, cause I'm, you know, that's not the lens through which I'm like viewing movies. So I guess I just didn't see it, but like, that's so great. You know, um, I love this. I love all these like pictures of this, like scary, scary monster thing wearing like a rainbow top hat, just like yeah. spreading his claws and being like, <laughs> I'm here. Or he's like, his like cloak is like wrapped in and yeah. he's like big smile with like rainbow backdrop. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it's definitely really, a funny that's really phenomenon. Great. Um, and I love, Oh my gosh. I love uh, the quote Baba Discourse. <laughs> Baba Discourse. Baba Discourse on Twitter. Uh, a movie about a gay man who just wants to live his life in a small Australian suburb. So good. The, it may just be a movie to you, but to the LGBT community, the Babadook is a symbol of our journey. Well, okay. That's wonderful. Black 
don't tell me not to live just in my <laughs> I just want an excuse to sing that. Um, so who's who's your uh, Jubu this this time around? My Jubu is Harvey Firestein, everybody. Oh, do you <laughs> the know the gayest Jewishest oh, of them all? I love him so oh, much. That was really good. I, I picked him I because met him. You met him? Yeah. Under what circumstances? Well, I can't really say, but are you doing like a pilot with him and you're like <laughs> it like hasn't gone yet? I'm kind of keeping it under wraps, but here's what I will say. I'll tell you off mic what like where I met him and why. Oh my god. It's really truly like not a thing like that. It's just like uh Is it related to your job? It's related to my job. I see. So I don't wanna like Yeah. Um Lorraine works for the CIA. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are, like, we've got wires all up in Harvey Firestein's house. He's into some weird stuff. He's got some shady characters coming in and out of there. We just got to keep tabs. But he he and I had a quick conversation about Baltimore, because that's where I'm from. Yeah. And he's all Mr. Hairspray. And we just have, like, a nice little, like, connection. That's great. I'm usually just awful when I meet celebrities. Oh, just yeah. terrible. He and it would actually be an intimidating okay. one, I think. I was very scared. Yeah. And it was fine. I survived. Um, um, well, I picked him because here it is Pride Month, mm-hmm. and um, here it is Pride Day, according to me. <laughs> it's really just, yeah, it's really just the day of the LA Pride, day, uh, LA Pride Parade. Um, anyway, Harvey Firestein, is it? Is that how you pronounce it, Firestein? Um, how do you say it? Alexis nodded yes. Fire, yeah, Firestein. Yeah, I think it's Firestein, but maybe you said another way that also works. Whatever, he's gay and, <laughs> gay and Jewish and very talented. Um, and uh, I first was acquainted with him. Through Mrs. Doubtfire, one of my all-time oh, fave you movies. Love Mrs. Doubtfire. I love it, but I have to say, um, it kind of—it's one of those movies where you watch it now and you're like, "Huh, this movie's kind of transphobic," you know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> and you're like, one of "I those wish movies. I hadn't revisited it with it's, my new knowledge of like." It's totally trans one of those people. movies. <laughs> There's movies that don't age exactly well. Yeah. And what was the other movie we watched together? Overboard. <laughs> Yeah, that movie was a little rough. Backwards as fuck. Anyway, I mean. Anyway. Anyway, thanks, yeah. Harvey. Maybe I'll watch Mrs. Doubtfire and just see what the deal is. Just do like a like a black feminist like paper on it or something. You know, yeah. like examine it with like some lenses. You yeah, know? I will. I will. We'll find out that that's really the story about like the black struggle. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll like claim Robin Williams for Black History Month. Um, it's the Babadook. So, Go ahead. Okay, my black boo this time around is Sid the Kid Ooh, from Odd Future. I really like her. Um, I think she's really cool. But, you know, she's like a kid. She's like totally a kid. I mean, she's, you know, I think she might be in her early 20s at this point. But she's really young and like has a lot to figure out. So, like, I don't like love all of her responses in some interviews about like womanness and, and like being a lesbian and being feminist. Like She's 25. She, all right, she's old enough. Yeah. But I will say I love her as an individual. I love her as an artist, as a performer. Her music videos are always really cool. And she's the only, as far as I know, she's the only female in Odd Future. And she like DJs and produces and stuff. Yeah, she's I think got you're like, right. She has so much power, so much agency. I just think she sets a really good example for all of us out here. And one thing that she said that I just really like, I like the way that she, like, she's queer, but I like the way that she just unapologetically queers space. Like, she, um, 
she, when she's asked in interviews, she was asked in an interview about the lack of out of the closet gay urban artists. I'm looking at this right now. I love from this. LA Weekly. This response is so funny. She, it's like on a couple of things, but yeah. she's like, there's Alicia Keys who's married to Swizz Beats. We know that shit ain't real. You got Queen Latifah kissing Common in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Missy Elliott saying she don't want to hang with bitches. You know she loves her some bitches. <laughs> It's just such a bold move to just like outing people, just outing people and going after these people. It's so like, like no one, holy they didn't, shit. They didn't say anything about you. I know they didn't say anything about you. And so she's not scared. She's like, whatever, come for yeah, me. I will out some people who like whose entire livelihood is like maybe like dependent on yeah. maintaining this like facade of one kind of sexuality. And who, by the way, could like totally help you. <laughs> yeah. Like if ever it came to it, these people would have Wait, a Missy Elliott. Are you kidding? Yeah. But she was like, I'm not scared. I really don't have time for this like if you're gay be gay and she's like i hate the word lesbian or pussy or even like thespian they're just awkward words if you, <laughs> if you know me you you might hear me say the word gay or something i'd much rather be gay than lesbian not only that but i don't know if i'd kick it with a group of lesbians anyway which is like who are you just Sid think, the kid? think think before you speak <laughs> is what i would like caution her to yeah, do. Yeah, same here. But you know what? I'll say it again. I love her music videos. I think she's very good at music. I am a fan. She is still my black boo. <laughs> Happy Pride Month. Again. Again. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Please um, hit us up with some comments and, you know, tell us what you like, what you disliked, what you would like us to feature in future episodes. We are learntuppodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social meds. All of our handles are at learntuppodcast. Yeah, we love signs of life. Please get in touch. Um, also, thank you so much to What's a Creative, the podcast network that hosts this show. They're the best. Uh, we can't do it without them. And also, huge thank you to our producer, Alexis B. Preston, because she always be Preston. And thank you to Adam Isaacson for bringing us the sick tunes. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, bye-bye. Have a good day. Happy Pride. Creative Podcast Network.